Chapter thirty five of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty five. The memory of what we have done without the aid of vanity would be little better, I believe, than a congregation of regrets. Even in the immediate review of a conversation just passed, how many things do we find which we have forgotten to say, or which might have been said better, or ought not to have been said at all? After Monsieur de Retz was gone, I looked back over the half-hour he had spent with me, and instantly remembered a thousand questions which I ought to have asked him, and a thousand things on which I had better have been silent. I felt foolish, too, on remembering that I had proposed to draw from him all his purposes, and yet that he had made himself master of the greater part of my history, while I remained as ignorant of the real object of his visit as if he had never come at all. My resolution, however, was taken to follow his advice in the matter of going to Sudan. My reasons for so doing, or rather my motives, for reasons nine times out of ten, are out of the question in man's actions, were manifold. I despaired of finding Helen. I was aweary of that great heap of stones called Paris, where I knew no one, and I had upon me one of those fits of impatience, which would have made me run into the very jaws of destruction to cast off the listlessness of existence. My eyes had been fixed upon the table while making these reflections, and on raising them I found Achilles standing opposite to me, looking at my face with much the air of a dog who sees his master eating his dinner, and standing upon his hind legs begs for its share too. I could as plainly read in the twinkling little grey eyes of the ci-devant player with a lackadaisical expression of his mouth. Pray let me hear the news, as if it had been written in large letters on his forehead. Achilles, said I, willing to gratify him in the most unpleasant way possible, a thing one often feels inclined to do to another, after having somewhat severely schooled oneself. Achilles, I am going to leave you. "'I beg your pardon, monsieur,' replied he calmly, "'but that is quite impossible. "'You can hardly go anywhere where I will not follow you.' "'But listen,' rejoined I, "'I am about to set off for Sedan. "'I ride post, and you can as much ride post as you can—' "'Ride to the devil,' said Achilles, interrupting me. "'I should not find that very difficult, monsieur. "'But I will ride the devil himself, sooner than part with you again.' So make your noble mind up to be hunted like a stag from Paris to Sedan, unless you let me ride quietly by your side. Though it required no august skill to foresee that little Achilles would prove a great encumbrance on the road, yet, as I found him so determined on going, I did not object, and bidding him prepare everything the next morning to set out as soon as I returned from the Hôtel de Retz, I went to bed and slept soundly till the dawn. At the hour appointed I proceeded to keep my engagement, and on entering the court of the Hôtel de Retz I found myself suddenly immersed in all the noise and bustle of a great family's household. It put me in mind of the tales which our old maître d'hôtel used to tell of the Château de Lorme in the days which he remembered, when, as he expressed it, there were always a hundred horses in the stable, and fifty gentlemen in the hall ready to mount at a word of my grandfather's mouth and there was nothing but jingling of spurs, except when there was jingling of glasses, and the glittering of arms in the courtyard was only succeeded by glittering of knives at the table. 
I was immediately shown to the apartments of the Abbé de Retz, where I found him surrounded by the servants and gentlemen of his own suite, which was numerous and splendid, in exactly the same proportion as his personal appearance was simple and unostentatious. On my arrival he rose and embraced me, and, dismissing his attendants, presented me with two letters addressed to the Count de Soissons, which he requested me to deliver, the one from himself, the other from the Duke of Orléans. "'I need not bid you be careful of them,' said he, as he gave the two packets into my hands. "'Each of them contains as much treason as would make the executioner's axe swing merrily.' This was rather a startling piece of information, and I believe that my face, that unhappy betrayer of secrets, showed in some degree how much heavier the letters appeared to me after I had heard such news of their contents. "'You seem surprised,' said de Retz. "'But you have lived so far from the court that you know not what is going on there. I do not suppose that there is one man of rank besides yourself in this great city who has not qualified himself for the Bastille or the Place de Grève. Do you not know that everything with Frenchmen depends upon fashion? And, let me tell you, that treason is now the fashion, and that a man that could walk across the court of the Palais Cardinal with his head steady upon his shoulders would be looked upon by our belle dame as either mean-spirited or underbred, and scouted from society accordingly. I am afraid that I am within the category, replied I, for I do not know anything which would make my head tremble there, or in any other place. Oh, fear not, fear not, answered Monsieur de Retz. You will find Monsieur le Comte de Soissons surrounded by persons who will speedily put you in the way of as much treason as is necessary to good breeding. But let them not lead you too far. Our breakfast is by this time served in my private dining hall, he added. I will send away the servants, and while we satisfy our hunger, I will give you so much insight into the characters of the party assembled at Sedan as may be necessary to your safety. Thus saying, he led me to a room on the same floor, where we found a small table spread with various delicacies and covers laid for three. Remove that cover, said Monsieur de Retz to one of the servants. Monsieur de Lisieux is so much past his time that I am afraid he will not come, and now leave us, he added and then, as soon as the room was clear, "'The truth is,' said he, "'I never expected the good bishop of Lisieux, but I told the servants to place a cover for him, because he is a great friend of the Cardinal de Richelieu, and it could not get abroad that I was plotting with a stranger, when it is known that I expected the great enemy of all plots in the person of the worthy prelate.' And he smiled while he told me this piece of art, piquing himself more upon such petty cunning than upon all the splendid qualities which his mind really possessed. Yet such, perhaps, is man's nature, valuing himself upon things that are contemptible, and very often affecting himself the same follies he condemns in others. "'I give you nothing but fish, you will perceive,' said Monsieur de Retz, as we sat down, this being a meagre day of our church, though, indeed, neither the fasting nor mortification are very great, yet I always keep these fish days. It is a very reputable method of devotion, and gains friends amongst the poissards, no insignificant class. As we proceeded with our meal, he gave me the sketches he had promised. Of Monsieur le Duc de Bouillon, he said, I shall say nothing, except that, being a great man and sovereign in his town of Sedan, 
I would advise you to show him all respect and attention, without, however, attaching yourself too strongly to what I may call his party. Near the person of the Count himself you will find Monsieur de Varicaville, a man of taste and sense, moderate in his passions, firm in his principles, and devotedly attached to the interest of his lord. A very few days' communication with him will show you that this statement is correct, and in the meanwhile I will give you a note to him, which will lead him to open himself to you more than he would do to a stranger. Another person you will meet is Monsieur de Bardouville, a man of very good intentions, but with so muddy a brain, that whatever is placed there, good or bad, sticks so tenaciously that there is no getting it out. He has been converted to a wrong party, and does all in his power to hurry Monsieur le Comte into schemes that would prove his ruin. "'But if his intentions are so good,' said I, "'were it not worth while to attempt, at least, to bring him over to better opinions by reason?' "'No, no,' answered de Retz. "'One makes a very foolish use of reasons when one employs it on those who have none. "'Let him alone, Monsieur de Lorme. "'The only man who ever made anything of his head was the man that cut it in marble. "'And then, as Voiture said, he had better have left it alone, "'as the bust was not a bit softer than the original. "'But to proceed, take notice of Compion, "'one of the chief domestics of Monsieur le Comte. "'He is a man of great probity and sound judgment.' one that you may confide in. You have now my opinion of the principal persons with whom you will be brought in contact, but, of course, you will form your own. And drawing in his eyes, he considered me for a moment through the half-closed lids, as if he would have read in my face what impression all he had said had made upon me. I could not help smiling, for I saw that the facility with which he had drawn my history from me the night before had given him no very high idea of my intellectual powers, and I replied, still smiling, "'Of course, Monsieur de Retz, I shall form my own opinion. I always do, of every one I meet with.' He did not well understand the smile, and never contented unless he read all that was passing in the mind of those with whom he spoke. He opened his eyes full, and with a frank laugh asked me what I thought then of himself." I have often remarked that perfect candour sometimes puts the most wily politician to fault, more than any imitation of his own doublings, though I believe there was some degree of pique in my doing so, too. If you would know frankly what I think of you, Monsieur de Retz, you must hear what I think of your conduct since we first met, for that is all I can personally judge of. "'Well, well,' replied he, "'speak of that, and I will confess if you are right.' "'In respect to your coming to me last night, then,' replied I, "'I think you had some motive of which I am not aware.' A slight flush passed over his face, and then a smile, and he nodded to me to go on. "'In regard to the valuable information you have given me to-day, and for which you have my thanks, I think that the cause of your giving it is something like the following. You have some interest in the proceedings of His Highness the Count de Soissons.' "'None but his own, upon my honour," interrupted de Retz. "'Granted,' replied I, "'of that I do not pretend to judge. "'But there are evidently two parties about the prince, "'one urging him one way, and one another. "'You, Monsieur de Retz, are attached to one of these parties, "'and you are very glad of the opportunity of our accidental meeting "'to bias me in favour of that side to which you yourself adhere, 
and to throw me though a person of very little consequence into the hands of those with whom you yourself cooperate i doubt not i added with a smile and a bow that your opinion is perfectly correct and that to your party i shall finally adhere if his highness thinks fit to retain me near his person but of course it will be the more gratifying to you to find that i embrace your opinions more from conviction than persuasion i am afraid my politeness had taken somewhat of a triumphant tone upon the strength of my supposed discernment and even before i had done speaking i was aware of my error and felt that i might be making an enemy instead of securing a friend but as i have said he always contrived to disappoint expectation for a moment he looked mortified but his face gradually resumed its good humour and he replied with i believe real frankness monsieur de lorme you are right i own that i have undervalued you and you make me feel it for that is what your conversation points at but you must give me back that letter to monsieur le comte i must not mislead him in regard to your character i gave him back the letter saying jestingly that i should much like to see the reputation which i had acquired on a first interview and which was doubtless there written down in full nay nay replied he tearing it that were useless and perhaps worse but you shall see what i now write if you will and i will write it frankly he accordingly led the way again to his library where he wrote a short note to the count which he handed to me after a few lines of the ambiguous language in which the politicians of that day were wont to envelop their meaning but which evidently did not at all refer to me i found the following this letter will be delivered to your highness by count louis de bigorre whom you have expected so long i met with him by accident and for a time undervalued him but i find upon farther knowledge that he can see into other people's secrets better than he can conceal his own whether he is capable of discretion on the affairs of his friends your highness will judge for it does not always follow that a man who gossips of himself will gossip of his neighbours the same vanity which prompts the one will often prevent the other i do not believe that i should have been able to maintain the same appearance of good humour under m de retz's castigation that he had evinced under mine had i not observed his eye fix on me as he gave me the paper and felt certain that while i read it was scrutinising every change of my countenance with the microscopic exactness of a naturalist dissecting a worm i was upon my guard therefore and took care that my brow should not exhibit a cloud even as light as the shadow that skims across a summer landscape a fair return in kind replied i giving him back the letter with as calm a smile as if i had been looking at the portrait of his mistress and i shall be obliged of necessity to let monsieur le comte into all my secrets he will be able to judge when he comes to compare notes with you how much your ingenuity drew from me last night and how much my poor discretion managed to conceal excellent good cried de retz rising and taking me by the hand so you would have me think that you had not told me all my dear count and would thus leave the devil of curiosity and the fiend of mortified vanity to tease me between them during your absence but you are mistaken the only use of knowing men's histories is to know their characters and i have learned more of yours to-day than i did even last night however it is time for you to depart there are the letters he continued after having added a few words to that addressed to the count 
travel as privately as you can and fare you well before we meet again we shall know enough of each other from other sources to spare us the necessity of studying that hard book the human mind without a key i accordingly took leave of monsieur de retz and in my way home found out the dwelling of a horse-dealer for the purpose of buying two nags for achilles and myself the necessity of travelling as privately as possible having induced me to change my intention of taking the post though in his whole nature and character there is not i believe an honester animal in the world than a horse yet there must be something assuredly in a habitual intercourse with him which is very detrimental to honesty in others for certainly and i believe in all ages it has been so there cannot be conceived a race of more arrant cheats and swindlers than the whole set of jockeys grooms and horse-dealers the very first attempt of the man to whom i at present applied was to sell me an old broken-down hack with a roman nose which at once indicated its antiquity for a fine vigorous young horse as he called it well capable of the road the various ingenious tricks had been put in practice of boring his teeth blistering his pastons etc and his coat shone as much as fine oil could make it but still he stood forth with his original sin of old age rank about him and i begged leave to decline the bargain though the dealer and palfrenier both shrugged their shoulders at my obstinacy and declared upon their conscience there was not such another horse in the stable after several endeavours to cheat me in the same manner which they would not abandon or by habit could not abandon although they saw i was somewhat knowing in the trade i fixed upon a strong roan horse for myself and a light easy-going pad for achilles the question now became the price i was to pay and after the haggling of half an hour the dealer agreed to take forty louis for the two which was about five more than their value he declared however so help him god that he lost by it and only let me have them in hope of my future custom i never intend to buy a horse of you again as long as i live replied i sharply so do not suffer that hope to bias you well well take them said he they would soon eat out the money in corn and so i should lose it anyway this matter being settled i directed them to be brought immediately to my lodging making a bargain beforehand for the necessary saddles and bridles of which the good dealer kept a store at hand and then sped on to see that all was prepared for our departure it was already past midday but everything having been made ready during my absence by the activity of my little attendant as soon as the horses were brought we loaded them with our bags and our persons and set out for sedan be it remarked however that i still maintained my little lodging in the rue des prets saint paul as from some words dropped by the abbe de retz i fancied that i might have occasion to return to paris on the affairs of monsieur le comte the ambling jennet which i had bought for achilles was so much easier than any horse whose back he had ever yet honoured that the poor little man after having anticipated the pains of hell found himself in elysium and declared that he could ride to jerusalem and back without considering it a pilgrimage i was resolved however to put his horsemanship to the proof for though i did not seek to call attention to myself by galloping like an express in that age when even one's horse's pace was matter of suspicion yet as the way was long i calculated that we might at least reach juar that night this was accomplished easily 
stopping but half an hour at Mole to feed our horses, and then proceeding with all speed, we saw La Ferte not far off, at about an hour before sunset, with its beautiful abbey standing out clear and rich against the evening sky, and the sweet valley of the Morin winding away in the soft obscurity of the declining light. Turning out of one of the by-roads, a horseman overtook us, and saluting us civilly, joined himself to our party. From the hint Monsieur de Retz had given me concerning the letter of the Duke of Orléans, I thought it best to avoid all communication with strangers, and therefore gave but very cold encouragement to our new companion's advances. He was a small, keen, resolute-looking little man, and not to be repulsed easily, as I soon found. For perceiving that I was not inclined to continue the conversation which he had commenced, he took the whole burden of it upon himself, and with a peculiar talent for hypotheses, he raised as many conjectures concerning the point to which our journey ended, and our particular object in journeying, as would have found employment for at least a hundred, if they had all been true. I remembered that Caesar, in some part of his commentaries, attributes particularly to the Gauls a bad habit of stopping strangers and asking them impertinent questions, and I could not help thinking that the valiant Roman, in some of his adventures, must have met with the ancestors of our new companion. We jogged on, however, I maintaining my silence, and Achilles playing the stranger, as I have seen a skilful fisherman play a large trout. When the horseman discovered that our nature was not of a very communicative quality, he seemed to think that perhaps we required him to open the way, and therefore he told us that he was going to La Ferte to buy grindstones, and that he always lodged at the Auberge of the Ecu, which he begged to recommend to us as the best in town. It was the very best, he said, beyond dispute. We should find good beds, good victuals, and good wine, all at a reasonable rate, and he farther hinted that, if we desired such a thing, we might have the advantage of his company to give us an account of the town, and point out to us its beauties and curiosities. Only if we desired it, he said, he was not a man to force his society upon any one. I replied by a bow which I intended to be very conclusive, but our new friend was not a man to be satisfied with bows, and therefore he asked straightforward whether I intended to go to the Ecu. I replied that it would depend on circumstances, and as we were by this time in the town of La Ferte, no sooner did I see him draw his rein as if about to proceed to his favourite auberge than I drew mine the contrary way, and was galloping off, when, to my horror and astonishment, he turned after me, declaring with a smile of patronising kindness that I was so sweet a youth he could not think of parting with me, and therefore, as I would not come to his auberge, he would come to mine. The matter was now beyond endurance. Sir, said I, pulling in my rein, and eyeing him with that cold sort of contemptuous frown, which I had generally found a sufficient shield against impertinence, be so good as to pursue your own way, and allow me to pursue mine. I neither require your society, nor is it agreeable to me, and therefore I wish you good morning. Ho, sir, ho, replied the stranger, I am not a man to force my society upon any one, but you cannot prevent my going to the same inn with yourself. I read something fortunate in your countenance, and therefore I am sure that no accident will happen to me while I am under the same roof with you. The inn where you sleep will not be burnt down, thieves will not break into it, 
the rafters will not give way and the walls fall in sir i am a physiognomist a chiromancer an astrologer i am no necromancer however i neither evoke spirits nor use magic white or black no no replied achilles grinning till an improper connection seemed likely to take place between his mouth and his ears no no you may be a chiromancer and astrologer but you are no conjurer that is clear enough silence achilles cried i let him pursue his own follies and follow me on thus saying i rode forward resolved rather to climb the hill to jouar than expose myself to encounter any more of the babbling old fool's impertinence but this effort was as vain as the former for determined not to be shaken off he kept close behind me till we had reached the beautiful little town of jouar and was safely lodged in the only auberge which it contained the moment after i had entered in he marched into the kitchen and though the landlord treated him as a stranger yet there was a something i know not what which impressed upon my mind that there was some sort of understanding between them odd suspicions crossed my imagination and i resolved to be upon my guard at the same time i knew that too great an appearance of reserve might excite suspicion and consequently i spoke a few quiet words to the landlord such as a somewhat taciturn traveller might be supposed to exchange with his host on his arrival and then went to achilles to see that the horses were properly provided for in regard to the stranger he talked with every one who would talk with him always taking care however to keep me and my fortunate face in sight and indeed he seemed gifted with ubiquity for no sooner did i leave him in the kitchen than i met him in the stable and the next moment i found him again bustling about in the kitchen ordering his supper with a tone of great authority for his part the landlord who acted also as cook and who seemed himself stewed down to nothing from his continual commerce with stewpans showed the stranger a thousand times more submissive respect than to any one else bending his elastic knees with an infinitely lower cringe when the stranger addressed him than when i did as soon as i had supped we retired to our sleeping chamber achilles having his allotted place in a small truckle bed which must have been made for him it fitted so nicely before retiring to rest however i took care to secure the letters of the count de soissons under my bolster fastening the door which had no lock with what was perhaps better a large heavy bolt i slept soundly till the next morning but on waking i found my poor little attendant almost speechless with fear as soon as he could speak however he declared that in the grey of the morning he had seen a ghost glide in he knew not how proceed to the leathern bags which contained our effects and fumble them for a moment or two in a very mysterious manner it then glided out he added just as i woke but with so little noise that it could not have been the cause of dissipating my slumber by heaven it was a dangerous undertaking cried i in a loud voice for the benefit of any one within hearing had i chanced to wake i would have shot it had it been the best ghost that ever was born examine the bags achilles and see if anything has been stolen at the same time i proceeded to ascertain whether the bolt had been drawn back by any contrivance from without but all appeared as i had left it and nothing seemed gone from the bags so that i was obliged to conclude that either achilles's imagination had deceived him or that some one had gained admission into the chamber by means i could not discover 
for some other purpose than simple robbery after the utmost scrutiny however i could not perceive any possible way of entering the room and dressing myself as quickly as possible i descended in order to pay my reckoning and set out immediately the landlord stated the sum and i laid down the money on the table piece by piece which he took up in the same manner bending his head over it till it was close to mine when suddenly he said in a low whisper seeming to count the silver all the time you are accompanied by a spy if you want to conceal whither you go mount and be gone with all speed and take care of your road i replied nothing but hurried the preparation of the horses as much as possible and was in hopes of escaping before my persecutor of the night made his appearance but just as i had my foot in the stirrup his visage presented itself at the door crying with the most indomitable imprudence wait for me wait for me i will not be a moment as may well be supposed i did not even wait to reply but putting my spurs to my horse i set off down the hill begging achilles to seduce his beast into a gallop if possible the little man did his best and so successful were we in our endeavours that we soon left jouard far behind us and on turning to look back on the road after half an hour's hard riding i could see nothing but a blessed void which gave me more pleasure than anything i could have beheld i slackened not my pace however but rode on towards montmiral as fast as possible thinking over the circumstances which had given rise to my galloping the minister i knew with the jealous suspicion of usurped power maintained a complete regiment of spies scattered all over the kingdom and invested with every different character and appearance which could disguise their real occupation and i doubted not that according to the landlord's hint at jouard our talkative companion was one of this respectable troop the character which he assumed was certainly a singular one but it must be confessed he played it to admiration and i congratulated myself not a little on having escaped the pursuit of such a vampire End of chapter thirty five